0: If you're able, would you remain standing and turn to Hebrews chapter thirteen. Chapter Hebrews chapter thirteen. We're going to start at verse eighteen. I'm going to read through the the rest of the chapter through verse twenty-five as we consider the subject of peace through blood. So Hebrews 13, start at verse 18. This is the word of our Lord. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words, Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you, and all the saints, those from Italy, greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that in our weakness you show yourself strong as we consider this portion of your word, for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning I want to to consider with you the most beautiful blood passage of the New Testament. There are several blood passages in the New Testament. uh, And this one is probably the most beautiful one in this great benediction and doxology that we find in verses 20 through 21. It is, as I said, both a doxology that ends with ascribing glory to Christ... But it's also a benediction in blessing this congregation that the original author is writing to. And through them, blessing us through the blood of the everlasting covenant. As we saw in verses 18 and 19, just before this great passage, the author of the book of Hebrews asked the church to pray for him so that he might be united to them. Now he prays for them. And in this prayer, he tells us who God is what God does, and how we respond to whom God is and what He does. So these are three parts. Who God is, what God does, and how we respond to those two re- truths. And I'll tell you right off the, the bat, the first point is longer than the other, so don't get antsy if it takes a while for us to get through the first point, who God is. And we start seeing who God is in verse 20. The Holy Spirit says, Now by the God... Of peace. He addresses God as the God of peace. The Hebrew Church, the church that this letter was originally written to, was in turmoil. They were seriously considering putting Jesus aside and going back to Temple Judaism. They were considering it, saying, "You know what? Being a Christian has just brought us a lot of trouble. Can we just go back to the way things were prior?" to professing faith in Jesus Christ. Can we just go back to temple sacrifice? Can we just go back to the synagogue and worship God like we did before? Still worshiping the true God as we did before. They were thinking that a return to temple Judaism would bring peace to their lives. They they would be able to go back to the synagogue. They had been kicked out of the synagogue because of their faith in Christ. They would be able to do business with the community. As we read this book, it seems like they, they were being shunned from the Jewish community because of their professing of faith in Christ. And in that context, the Holy Spirit speaks of God as the God of peace. And he says that this God of peace is a specific God in verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit shows them how essential to God's identity as the God of peace is. The work and resurrection of Christ is, so he can't go back to worshiping the true God without Christ, because God is the one who rose, brought Christ back from the dead. There isn't another way to worship God. There's no way to go back to Temple Judaism. There's no way to go back to a time before Christ, because God's identity is the one who rose, who brought Jesus back from the dead. That's who God is. There is no real peace. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, sure, go back to the to the synagogue. Go back to the period before you believed in Christ. And you're gonna have, you may have temporal peace, you may have horizontal peace with those in the synagogue and so on, but it's not going to be any real peace because there will be no real, no peace with God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And this word peace is important. When it says, Now may the God of peace. The Hebrew or the biblical concept of peace includes the absence of conflict, the absence of turmoil. But it's much closer to our concept of wholeness, of completeness, than just the absence of conflict. It's a more positive uh, idea than just not having any fights or conflicts in your life. It is something like having someone present in your life, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the concept of peace in the Scriptures is, that the presence of God and further revealed to us as the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus Christ is prophesied as being Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what peace is, is the presence of Christ in our lives. And even though it doesn't show in our English translation, when the author of Hebrews says, Now may the God of peace, he says, May the God of the peace. The peace. There's a definite article here. May the God of the peace. This is not a general Peace is not a general sense of peacefulness, but the very peace, the very completeness, the very wholeness the satisfaction that a human heart craves. It's the very peace, it's the peace that our heart has been craving. The implication of the word the is that this peace cannot be found anywhere else. It is the peace we need. It is the peace we crave. It cannot be found anywhere else except in the God of the peace who brought the Lord Jesus back from the dead. The source of this peace is God. Therefore, our relationship with Him and prayer to this God of peace brings peace. There's no way to have peace apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what the Apostle Paul told us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7: Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your hearts requests be a request we made known to God. And then he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. How? Through Christ Jesus. Notice that the result of bringing everything before God, all the issues that are causing you to be anxious, is not necessarily a change in circumstances, but a removal of anxiety. When Paul says, you pray when you're anxious and bring all your anxiety for God, and you give you peace, it doesn't say, I'm going to remove the things that are causing you to be anxious. But through the Prince of Peace, your very anxiety is removed. That happens because at that moment, we are finding our wholeness and satisfaction in God. Not in the issues of life. As we stand before the God of peace, who brought again our shepherd from the dead? At that very moment, we are beholding him. We're satisfied with him. We're complete in him, not with the things that are going on in our lives. And if we are complete in God, and he promises to never leave us or forsake us, then our hearts will be guarded against anxiety. But, brothers and sisters, unbelievers in our midst, this peace can only be found through Jesus Christ. As He is about to depart in the very last night before His crucifixion, as He's talking to His disciples, and through them, us, He says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And he's not talking about peace among us. God's peace is man's peace with God. That's the ultimate peace. Our God is a God of peace because he established peace with us. In Romans one, in Romans 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says that we having been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. We are at peace with God. Believer, God is not angry with you. God is not shaking his fist at you. He's not frowning upon you. He is at peace with you if you have been justified in the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the God of peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not only exemplify peace, but also promotes peace, wholeness among his people. Our God is the God of shalom, the God of completeness, of wholeness, as he restores us to himself. So God is the God of peace, but it's more than that. He's the God who raised our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the dead. God is the God of peace because of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. God raised His Son from the dead because of the blood that Jesus shed on behalf of those who believe in Him. This might sound really obvious, but the means that the Father used to raise the Lord Jesus from the dead was death. To which you would say That's really obvious because you can't really raise somebody from the dead unless they are dead. But what gave Christ the right to be risen from the dead was his death, his shed blood. And when he came before the Father offering himself, the Father says, I receive it on behalf of my people. And he proved that by raising him from the dead to eternal life The resurrection is a declaration that what Jesus did worked. And we can know God as a God of peace. So earlier on in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 9, the author says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his his own blood, he entered the most holy place. Once for all, have he obtained eternal redemption. People of God, Jesus Christ, as it were on that Friday... Walked into the spiritual tabernacle, as it were. This is figurative language, but it gives us the picture. He walked there not with a goat, not with a bull, not with with the blood of animals, but offering Himself. And He obtained your redemption in doing that. That's who God is. Is a God who through Jesus Christ is a God of peace, the one who obtained your salvation once for all. Nothing else you have to do. As top lady says, uh, naked we, we come to you. Nothing in my hands I bring, only to your cross I cling. And notice how he refers to the work of Jesus. He says in verse 20, now may the God of peace who... Brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great Shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, the eternal covenant, the everlasting covenant, is a new covenant that was so eloquently described in Chapter Eight of this book. It's eternal. It's forever. It's a forever way that God relates to us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no possibility of it becoming obsolete and another one being needed. There's no possibility of God needing something else but the blood of Jesus in order to keep you close to Him. There's no need of anything else to happen in order for you to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, in order for God to be your Father, than the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary, received in the glory by the resurrection. It's everlasting. It's eternal. You don't need something else. The blood of Jesus never loses its power. And therefore, God always is the God of peace toward you who believe. And and, and notice how he identifies Jesus. Again, in verse 20, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, the identification of Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep plays a big part in God being a God who makes His people whole, complete, satisfied. Have you ever thought about the implications of Jesus being the great shepherd and how that makes us complete, whole, satisfied before God? Now, the shepherd imagery connotes not just care, but absolute sovereignty over the sheep. Domesticated sheep, the kind that the shepherd of the first century would shepherd over cannot live without a shepherd. They won't find food or water on their own. They will not be able to fight predators. They will not be able to find their way back to the sheep pen. That's the sheep. We are the sheep. Nowhere in the Bible we are the hero of the story. When you read your Bible, always identify yourself with the weak, with the thou trodden, with the Loser in the story. We are never identified as the hero. We are the sheep. We need to identify ourselves as the sheep. And Peter says, For you were like sheep going astray. And the God of peace did not leave us to ourselves. He gave us a shepherd. So Peter concludes, For you were like sheep going astray. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the great shepherd of the sheep, who shed his blood for you. And make no mistake about it, we didn't return to him because we found him attractive. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 52 and 53 tells us that he was very unattractive to the natural man. We came to him because he sought us out and brought us back to the fold. Your shepherd went after you and brought you into the fold because the blood of the everlasting covenant. Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own as the Father knows me. Even so I know the Father and I lay down my sheep, my life for the sheep. And the God of peace creates peace in our hearts and lives as we trust our shepherd fully. The closer we are to Christ, the more we are trusting Him, the more peace we experience in our lives. And notice that Jesus is the great shepherd. There isn't anyone greater who can do a better job than he can do in bringing peace, wholeness, satisfaction to us. And our great shepherd is a tender shepherd. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the, lam- the lambs with, in- with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. That's our shepherd. That's who God is. The God of peace who brought our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, what does God do? We, this, is, this is all description of who God is. Now, let's look a little bit of what God does in verse 21. Make you complete in every good work to do His will, work in you what is well-pleasing in His sight. That's what God does. God equips us. Now, keep in mind that this equipping is still in the context of God being a God of peace. And to make complete, as it says, it is to put into proper condition, to equip, to restore, to mend. This word used in verse twenty-one, where it says that God is making you complete, is used in Matthew chapter four to talk about the disciples mending the net. They are at the shore mending the nets because you can't, if you have huge holes in your nets, you're not going to get any fish. So in order for the net to be properly used, for in order for the net to function as it was intended to be, it has to be mended. That's what this word, make you complete, is. That's the exact same word. It is also used, used of the restoration of a brother who fell into sin. In Galatians 6, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one. Again, that's the idea of mending. In extra-biblical writings of the first century, this was the word for Making a bone, setting a bone straight. Or somebody dislocated an arm or broke a leg. They'll set it straight. That's this word for making you, uh, to make you complete in every good work. That's what God does. Your God of peace does that to us. And how does, how does he do that? How does God equip us through the blood of the eternal covenant to be whole, to be satisfied, to be at peace? In our translation, we read, in every good work. But it's a better way to think of it, with every good work. He equips us with every good work. God equips us with every good thing that we need to do, so so that we can do all that He calls us to do. There's absolutely nothing that we need to be whole, complete, satisfied, that God does not provide us through the blood of the eternal covenant. The blood of Jesus equips us completely to do what God designed us to do. We don't need something else. And notice the sufficiency of this equipment. He equips us to every good, with every good thing. We are are often tempted to seek peace, wholeness somewhere else, just like the Hebrew Christians were. We're tempted to say, you know what, this Christian thing is not working. We're going to run to something else. So, So we run to substances to provide the peace and wholeness that only Christ provides. We run to relationships to provide the peace and wholeness that only Christ can provide. We run to arrogance to provide the peace and wholeness that only Christ can provide. If we if I think highly about myself, maybe I'll feel whole. We run to our body image to provide the peace that and the wholeness that only Christ provides. We run to our sexuality to provide the peace and wholeness that only Christ provides. And in the running, we leave behind every good thing that is entirely sufficient for our wholeness and satisfaction. And those things we run to may even provide a temporary relief. We We may find some peace in these things for a little while, but eventually they will only destroy us. So, people of God, your shepherd equips you so instead of running away from him, we need to run to him, into him, to be satisfied with him. And the God of peace equips us sometimes directly, but more often than not through means. He equips us through the whole to be whole through the word. In 2 in Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, uh, Paul says that to every all Scripture scriptures inspired by God and is good. And profitable for several things, so that the man of God can be fully equipped, uh, can be complete, fully equipped for every good work. That's the same word here in Hebrews 13. The word of God, as we read it, as we hear it proclaimed, equips us to do everything that God calls us to do. God equips us to be whole through His Spirit. John in, in John sixteen Jesus says that he's going to send his spirit and the spirit is going to lead us into all things. God equips us to be whole through his shepherds. In Ephesians four, eleven and thirteen, Paul says that he gave pastor teachers to the church so that those pastor teachers could equip the saints to do the word the work of the ministry. God equips us to behold through His people. In Ephesians 4, again, says that as the people are equipped by the pastor, they then build each other up to the completeness of their heads, Lord Jesus Christ. So God is equipping us, and God is at work in us. Because of Jesus Christ, the Father works in us to want and to do what is pleasing to Him. And when we run from Christ and try to find wholeness and peace Somewhere else, we also are running from the work of God that makes us satisfied with obedience to Him. So, a lot of times, people say, "You know what? I'm feeling down. I I don't feel whole. I don't feel at peace. I'm just going to stay home today." Or, you know, I I really feel I'm I'm down. I don't feel satisfied. I don't feel peace. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to not going to pray. And in doing those things, we're actually forsaking the very things that God has given us—the means to help us be at peace and whole in him. So the time to be a church is all the time, but especially those times where you don't want to be a church. The time to read your bible is all the time, but especially those times where you don't feel like doing it. The time to pray is all the time, especially those times where you don't feel like doing. It. Do you know who loves when we are not in church, when we're not praying, when we're not reading the bible? Satan does. Because he doesn't want you at peace. He doesn't want you to fulfill find your fulfillment in Christ. You'd be happy if you keep on running away and find your fulfillment in all these other things that would distract you from Christ and would not give you any eternal peace. So, how do we respond to these things? How do we respond to who God is and what God does? Look at the end of verse twenty one. <clears throat> He says that God is doing all these things through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Make you complete in every good work to do His will, work in you what is well pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So how do we respond to God? Who God is and what He does? We do His will. He's equipping us in order for us to do His will. And this idea cannot be lost on us. God is working peace. God is working wholeness. God is working satisfaction in us for a specific purpose. And that purpose is obedience to His will. It's not for self-actualization. It's not to be our best self, but to do His will, to obey Him, which is the same thing as obedience to His word. We are at our best when we were being God. You ever heard the Kazakh saying, let go and let God? Came from a Kazakh movement in Great Britain. The idea is that you just sit there and God zaps you and all of a sudden you're more sanctified. That's not in the Bible. The idea of let go and let God is not in the Bible. Maybe if we changed a little bit and said, let go and let God and do whatever the Bible tells you, that would be more Accurate, because that's what we are being equipped to do. Paul tells us that he marries these two ideas that God is working in us as we work to do his will in Philippians two, twelve and thirteen. So we do his will, and we respond also by glorifying Christ, as it is often the case. The, com- the, the contemplation of the work of Christ causes the Christian to break forth in doxology. So here Paul is blessing the people and reminding the people of, sorry, whoever wrote Hebrews, is blessing the people and uh, he is reminding them of the work of Christ. And as he does that, he can't help but to just rise to the presence of God in doxology at the end of verse 21. To whom be glory forever and ever. Our response to whom God is and what He does for us in making us whole, complete, at peace, is making much of Him. Words, deeds, thoughts, attitude, everything bursting with the praises of Christ. That's how we respond to God. Doing His will, glorifying Christ, making much of Him in everything in our lives. So peace Wholeness, satisfaction can, can be elusive, can be difficult to, to find, but only when we are running from the God of peace instead of into the God of peace. May the God of peace who raised our dead out of the dead our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, grant you peace, grant you wholeness, grant you satisfaction through the blood of the everlasting covenant that our risen, risen Savior shed for you, to whom be glory forever and ever. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that we can know, we can find out who you are, what you do, and what you require of us. Enable us to be faithful to you. Help us to, to love you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have loved us with an unchanging love, and you demonstrated that love in the cross of Christ and bring him back to life. Thank you that... There's nothing we need to do because Christ has done all for us. Help us to respond with obedience to your word and the declaration of your glory in our lives. We in Jesus' name, amen.